Welcome to the Resistance Chronicle. I'm Matt. I'm Eric. And today we have uh, an interesting conversation uh, that we're going to be having about a place in New Hampshire called Corbin's Park. Did you know that there is about 24,000 acres of land that borders six different towns in the Upper Valley area, right on the Connecticut River, Claremont. So this is bordering Vermont then? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so for those who don't know the area, um, New Hampshire and Vermont are, are, are split by the Connecticut River. 69ing, actually. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah if you look at the, state, <laughs> the two states together, it's one big square, and then the Connecticut River, pretty much, yeah, the, it's 69ing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. So, uh, yeah, one state's upside down uh, compared to the other one. I like to think that Vermont's a little more upside down than New Hampshire. Absolutely. Um, but did you know that there's a uh, 24,000 acre or so exclusive, exclusive, exclusive private hunting club that was founded back in the 1860s? No. So this little, little actually huge preserve um, is located in, officially in Croydon, New Hampshire. About 24,000 acres, completely fenced in. You can't get in there, right? It's so Croydon, where around. would that be? Like, what's near Lebanon, um, right? No, it's south of Lebanon. Um, like, between Keene and and Lebanon, it would be, like, in the middle of that? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. If you were probably a little closer to Lebanon, maybe about 20, right. 20 minutes or so away, Lebanon. And, and for those who don't know Lebanon, Lebanon um, is, is basically a, a bedroom community for... Uh, Dartmouth in, in Dartmouth College in Hanover. So. Extremely liberal. Extremely wealthy community too. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's all doctors, it's all lawyers, it's all Ivy League school, it's all old bunny, it's all kind of tied into this a little bit, but not really. Um, so this this hunting preserve, it's known as the Blue Mountain Forest Association. There's thirty members to this uh, this exclusive club. Nobody knows who the hell they are. Rumor has it one of the people that's a member there invented the top to the whipped cream can, the little nozzle that <laughs> sprays out the little plastic nozzle. So he's like the patent holder of it, and and if, if he's even Is still this guy alive, loaded for making a cap. They're all loaded. Cream? They're all loaded. So so the. What what I understand is it's it's about a fifty thousand dollar or so, your tens of thousands of dollars a year to maintain your membership, um, a, a, a allegedly a million dollars or so buy into the place, and the only way that you can buy in is if you know someone who's given up their membership. So they keep a cap it at thirty, thirty in their guests, right? So so I stumbled. So it's a mil wait, it's a yeah. million dollars. Yeah. To just sign just up. Just to sign up, yeah. It's like and then it's hot, and then per year it's what fifty thousand. About that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anywhere between thirty and fifty thousand, I've heard reports, but nobody knows because these people are nowhere to be found. Who in New Hampshire can afford that? These are thirty. Nobody. Thirty ghosts. Well, let's get into that. So it's called the Blue Mountain Forest Association, which is kind of a newer uh, name within like the last sixty years or so. They they called it this. Um, the the place has changed hands, but in order to to start the story of this whole thing, we got to take a little bit of a road trip back in time to the Gilded Age. You know the Gilded Age? No, I didn't know it either until I no. started really researching this. I knew of the time when period. When you say it, I think of, like, uh, Game of Thrones time. No, 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 not that I far know, back. The Gilded. No. So there was an area, uh, there was a period of time between the end of the Civil War 
in, in the early part of the 20th century, uh, 1910, 1913, is about when they say officially the Gilded Age has, had, had ended. Um, this is a time, think, um, think Gangs of New York, but Gangs of New York was probably a little bit before that because the Civil War was still going on. But that, that was like 1900s. It was like... No, I don't know. The no? Civil War was 18... No, 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 no. Uh, Gangs of New York. No, no. That was during the Civil War. Oh, was So, yeah. So, all the Irish immigrants were coming in and getting off the boat. And then they were the, they were the uh, recruits for the, yeah. for the military right there saying, here's your, here's your rations, here's your bag, here's your gun. Now you're fighting for Uncle Sam. And, uh, yeah, that was it. They, they, tried to, uh, they tried to get him into war. But that's, that's another, uh, another topic altogether is the Civil War. This is a little bit after the Civil War. Um, it's also known as the second industrial revolution. Okay. So you got the first industrial revolution, which happened in colonial times, um, George Washington times, where, uh, textiles were being mass produced, right? Um, things were happening at a much more rapid pace as, as the country's growing and growing. So about a hundred years passes and you got what's the, called the second industrial revolution. So... Mills and factories and all that stuff were, were changed by waterways and, and the steam engine, right? So they were able to track stuff up the, the Mississippi with the big old steamboats, the riverboat queens, and, you know, the same thing in, in all, the other, all the other rivers. And, and it was making trade happen, and it was making the country smaller. Um, what, what revolutionized the, the second industrial revolution were uh, railroads, so railroads connected um, the, the continent, right? Connected mm -hmm. the West Coast to the East Coast. It, it allowed us to, to bring goods from, from one side of the country to the other, from the bottom to the top. Um, connected major cities, major metropolises. And, and it was the only way to get around. It was the only way to get around. Walk. Exactly. It was the only way to get around. Exactly. Or walk or, or horse and buggy, right? So, so the second Industrial Revolution um, also not only brought in the railroads, but within the... the the factories and, and the way people were, were building things and whatnot, um, it, it, the, the, we, we had these managers that were running these, these floors, and they were, they were finding new ways to be efficient. Out of this efficiency grew a lot of danger in, in, the, in the plant, right? Working people uh, to death, literally. Mm -hmm. um, unions were formed because of this, right? So this is the, the birth of, of, of labor unions. Uh, making sure that people people were protected and 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 you know all, all we know that there's a lot of corruption that goes along with the, the labor unions too. Um, we'll get into that another time, not today, but another time. Um, I, I think I mentioned the combustion engine started coming around, so automobiles started showing up on the scene. Um, things that were were operated with with you know the, the regular old combustion engine that, that runs off of fossil fuels uh, and electricity. Thomas Edison and, and Nikola Tesla were they were having there. Who's who's the better inventor, right? Yeah, we know how that that Tesla, story kind of actually was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Creepy, creepy shit with some of the same players that we're going to be talking about here that that made it that uh, Thomas Edison was that guy. Um, so that was the second industrial revolution. Now, what we're kind of in right now is the in between period of the third industrial revolution, right? Which is the technology of the telephone, the computer. Um, you know, all the stuff that, that, that we see now, efficiency in our cars and the engines of the cars, um, heating systems, nuclear power, all, all that stuff is, is part of the third industrial revolution, right? And then we hear about our buddy Klaus Schwab talk about the fourth industrial revolution, and that's going to be more of like the, the fusion of, of AI and virtual reality. Um, I robot. 
Event 201, right? Agenda 21, yep. iRobot, exactly. Um, so, so that's... That's that's the industrial revolutions as 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 we see them, and and right now we're kind of in a, in a gilded gilded age, right? Which is which is what ushered in the the second industrial revolution. Uh, it seems like we're in the gilded age to usher in the the, the fourth industrial revolution. So, to, out of this period of time, there was a lot of corruption in business, um, it, as well as in politics. Right, everything was kind of kind of getting screwed with, right? People are figuring out how to become rich, whether it was skirting the law and still doing it legal or just doing things outright illegally, right? So we know of, of robber barons. Robber barons, that's probably like my favorite word to, to describe these people and it's like the most appropriate word because it's, it's what they were, man. They, they stole and but then they, they, they tried to make it out like they were doing something great by saying, hey, I'm a philanthropist, you know? And John D. Rockefeller, before he dies, walking around, handing people dimes and, and thinking that that's, you know... A way to their heart. Every time someone's a philanthropist, I'm like, yo, they're full of shit. Yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's just like, word. it's like yeah. the ultimate, like, yep. this guy's full of shit. Yep, it's a bullshit it, word. It, it doesn't even exist. Yeah, no, 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 it's crazy. It's all, it, it all comes back to them being greedy and doing it for themselves. You Bill know? Gates, big yeah, philanthropist. Oh, yeah, philanthropist. Oh, yeah, philanthropist. Oh, yeah, yeah, George Soros, big philanthropist. Open, <laughs> open society or open soul, whatever the hell is pretty Those, son's company is that he's running there that's pretending to be doing the right thing. You know, crazy. But these hey, robber barons. Uh, anyway, uh, not to uh, get us too way too far off topic, but uh, Swalwell, sleeping with the Chinese spy. Yeah. How about that, huh? Well, but that's okay. No, that's okay. You know, that's yeah. no big deal. Hush, hush. Nothing to see yeah. here, folks. Yep. But anyway, keep Nothing going. All right, so when I talk about robber barons, what I'm talking about are the folks like Andrew Carnegie with Steele, Rockefeller with oil, right? I think mm -hmm. involved in some banking too, maybe a little bit of a little bit of that. Um, Vanderbilt, Cornelius Vanderbilt, I think Cornelius was his first name. Railroads. Mm -hmm. uh, J.P. Morgan with banking, right? Yep. And there's one guy that that you don't really hear too much about. He uh, was born in Newport, New Hampshire, where the location of that that land um, was one of the towns that that land uh, borders um, the park, and his name's Austin Corbin. Austin Corbin was born on July 11th, 1827, and died on, on June 4th, 1896. So he was only 68 years old when he died. You know what his nickname was? No. The father of modern banking. Never heard of the guy, right? Did I talk about how I, I, I stumbled upon this? No. No. I don't think you did. So I went to work one day, and, and when I go to the office, I have a little cube where I can kind of get my stuff all organized and ready to go. And the guy that sits in the cube next to me, we got talking about hunting uh, and food and, and wild game meats. And he, he told me about um, a, a trip he took with one of his old bosses. This was back in the early 90s uh, to Corbin's Park, which is the Blue Mountain Forest Association, this, this giant 26,000-acre place. And I had no idea that this place existed. So to hear this story, and then he told me something briefly, and we're going to get into this in a minute, about a mysterious shooting happening there, and the guy who did the shooting got off uh, scot-free, and, and the people that were at the... at the uh, What, like a Dick Cheney thing? Bingo, yeah. And who is this that told you this? A guy I work with. I don't want to reveal too much about no, him. No, no, don't, but... But he's he's a guy I work with. He's a great guy. Like he's what? A, he's an like, older guy. Of all the things he's super that people regular. talk where he where he worked, the owner of the chain of restaurants that he worked for had a membership at this club. He's the guy's dead now. 
but he had a membership at, at the club and this guy had, had been a great employee for him. So he's like, hey, you're into hunting. Your brother's into hunting. I want to take you two guys to, to this place. So that's the only way you can get in there. Unless you're one of the 30 members, you need to have an invitation from one of the 30 members to get in. So but you can't find any of the 30 members, right? You have to know them. You have to know the guy that made like the whipped cream tips. <laughs> some secret handshake thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You got to know someone who knows someone. And the only way you're going to hear about these members is if you talk to someone who talked to someone. Um, there was a great podcast on, on called Millionaire's Hunk Club. Um, New Hampshire Public Radio had a, a, a show that was all about the outdoors in New Hampshire. And this was one of the topics that I, when I was digging through stuff, this podcast came out maybe like three, three, four years ago or something like that. And it was a little bit about this. It was more of a fluff piece of the area and made this guy into this like great... You know, great character of, of the Gilded Age and, and this great father of New Hampshire that did this great thing um, with, with, this, with this park. So anyway, Mr. Corbin. Mr. Corbin established the first national bank. So he moved from, from Newport, New Hampshire, where he was raised. He worked there a little bit as a teacher. And when he was working there as a teacher, he only did that so he could raise the money to put himself through Harvard Law School. So he put himself through Harvard Law School. This guy sounds like a real outstanding citizen, doesn't he? Now this is Corbin, right? Corbin, yes. Okay. This is Austin Corbin. Um, yeah, and, and I'm being sarcastic when I talk about him sounding like an, an outstanding citizen because he, he really wasn't. He was a typical uh, scumbag of the time. Um, so after he graduated from Harvard, he went back to Newport for a little bit, worked as a lawyer, and moved out to Davenport, Iowa. And that's when he developed the abilities to get rich. He started out as a lawyer out there in Davenport, and he found out that there was more money in banking, and there was more money in real estate. So he got into both of those. He actually got the funding to open up a bank, started a bank, and there was an economic crash. I believe it was in 1857. Um, there was a run on the banks. His bank, miraculously, was the only one that survived. Um, his, his cousin, just a side note, his cousin's name uh, was Solomon Chase. Solomon Chase is his namesake. Chase, Chase Bank? Chase Manhattan Bank, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so he already had banking ties. And how he, he was related to him is... It was um, a cousin on his mother's side, so his mother's last name was Chase. So his father was a, a uh, his grandfather was a doctor. His father was a farmer. I believe it was his father. It was either his father or grandfather that married the, the into the Chase family. But now this guy is is linked to the Chase family because of of maternal, you know what a, what a maternal having a baby and and now he's that. So Solomon Chase. What happened was that this, this was so, this such a success. That they, they started the first national bank. So they established the first national bank of Davenport. So what the first national bank was pretty much a precursor to the uh, Federal Reserve. Um, so, so the Federal Reserve was one big national bank controlling everything. The, the national banks were these smaller forms of banks controlling smaller areas. So it's almost like wrestling territories, I guess you could say. So back in the, the 70s and 80s, you had all these little territories, and then all of a sudden, WWF took over and, and gobbled up all the wrestlers. So, so they were basically trying to put a monopoly on banking within the states. So they didn't really get to that big national level yet, but they got to, um, they, they, they got to this level. Um, they, they were set up, um, a priority that they had 
was to fund the country post-Civil War. So now these banks are making out all the loans to all these devastated towns and, uh, towns and, and states uh, from the Civil War and helping them, helping them rebuild, and they're making money off of the interest from, from these people. So it's a very, very similar setup to how the Federal Reserve and the so World Bank... like the first central banking. Second. Second. Yeah, it, it, was, it was the second attempt at like a Federal Reserve-type national banking system. So the first one happened during the colonial times. Thomas Jefferson... Um, Andrew Jackson was against it, um, and, and then it moved into, into this time here. Ooh, I just slammed the table kind of hard. And then, then you got your Federal Reserve Act that, that got signed by, by my buddy Woodrow Wilson. Um, so, where was I? Um, so they were set up so that they could fund the rebuilding from everybody who was devastated uh, from, from, their, um, from the Civil War. And they monopolized it. Uh, their goal was to monopolize all business. So that brings him into the railroads. He moved to New York. His son was sick. The doctor said, get your son some salt air. Now, who yeah, he needs to be son, at the beach. His son. Austin Corbin's son. Okay. Yeah, all yeah. Right, yeah. All right. Austin Corbin's son was sick. I don't know what he had. It was some sort of like like disease of the time. COVID? Huh? COVID? COVID, probably, yeah. It was, yeah. The, it was the first Everything's test case. COVID. <laughs> <laughs> They're rewriting the, 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 the death certificate. Um, so he went to Coney Island. Coney Island was a shithole. Coney Island was, was the place of the freaks and geeks and, and the sideshows, and, and it wasn't what it was today, but he saw some promise in Coney Island. I guess his son got better, so he invested in it. He took over the Long Island Railroad, um, and, and when he took over the Long Island Railroad, he took it out of basically bankruptcy, and, and did so kind of nefariously. Um, what he did when he, when he took it over is he went out to um, Montauk, New York. And Montauk, New York comes up in, in other conspiracy theories of, of modern time um, with, with time travel and stuff like that. Um, so it's really? Kind of, yeah, it's kind of like a hotbed. All of, I know of Montauk is striper fishing. No, 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 no. It's like unbelievable. Yeah, it's Conspiracy Central, I guess. So what really? Austin Corbin and his partner did, right? He had a, he had a partner, uh, Arthur Brown. Is there was a tribe, the the the, the Montauk, um, ah shit 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 shit, it was it was a tribe native to the to, to Montauk, New York. They they had a name uh, similar to Montauk. I, I forget exactly what the name. Mohawk. Was. No 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 no, um, but but basically what they did was they forced them off their land. They they took it right yeah. out from underneath. Typical them. American way. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and and his goal was to put a train station in there to expand the Long Island Railroad. So that anybody traveling the transatlantic line, which I believe came up from the south, right, along the Atlantic Ocean, and it would stop in Montauk, New York. So that it would make the trip into New York City one day shorter than, than the other way that they had to go. So he decided to, you know, decimate, well, Montauk's decimate all the, the way at the end. Population. Uh, yeah, so it would make the trip into into New York City quicker, I guess. So oh, you gotta go, go all the way all into way Long Island. I don't know. I'm not into the geography behind it, man. It's just that's that's what I read up on right. this thing, and it would uh, his reasoning behind it was that makes it no would, sense. It would save it would save one whole day in travel to New York City. So somewhere it made sense in the in the 1800s when he did this, um, but he decimated the whole population, and he built resorts. Like an idiot. He built resorts. Oh, he built resorts yeah. along the way. Yeah. So, oh, no, 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 no. He built resorts in in on Long Island, so they'd stop in Montauk and they could go to his hotel. Yeah. Oh, so they hit all the this shit. Manhattan yeah, Beach. Okay. Yeah. He 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 built Manhattan right. Beach 
So he was trying to put them through there. And then the sales point was, was not only would he put them through there and get them in their resorts if, if he wanted to, because it killed one day off of the travel to New York. I still don't get that. It, but. I don't know. We got to look at a map and break it down. But that was that that was the thought behind it was that one one day's travel if the transatlantic railroad came through his terminal. Now, while he did this, and he turned this whole railroad system around, this Long Island Railroad, right, and made it popular and rebuilt Coney Island, another famous name in the world of banking, Mr. J.P. Morgan, right, thought it was great. So what did he do? He put him in charge of one of the, one of the other railroads. He put him in charge of Reading Railroad. Reading Railroad made it to Monopoly. So this guy was, was a pretty big deal in these days, so... If, if you know about J.P. Morgan and his ownership of the Titanic and the controversy there and, and the Federal Reserve and his stuff with banking and everything, you know that Arthur Corbin was right there with him in the banking and the railroad world doing some seedy, seedy shit. And you, you can go on to um, um, the Coney Island historical site and there's articles about him and, and how treacherous Corbin. he was. Corbin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, this dude from New Hampshire. Yeah, this guy from... Have you been to Newport, New Hampshire? No, Claire? never. Holy smokes, man. It is small town, straight up working class, man. It's, it's, it was factories in these towns. Claremont is right right on the river. And, and it, it, was, it's, it was like what a Lawrence was in its heyday. You know what I mean? Uh, and yeah, it was, it's just absolutely amazing that this guy, guy came from, from the sticks of New Hampshire, did all of this. And then how and, did he get involved with J.P. Morgan? Because they were bankers. And oh, then, they were and both they, bankers. They were both bankers, so they all so they had mutual friends. So Corbin then, was a banker. And then what J.P. Morgan did was he he owned Reading Railroad and needed a president for the railroad. But he made he took Corbin. Corbin the president of the railroad, right? Oh, now there's everything on the internet about this guy going through the whole Gilded Age and all all this time that that he's he's mentioned or or, or that I'm finding stuff has been scrubbed almost. The, some of the stuff out there makes him out to be uh, a hero, and a lot more of the stuff makes him out to just be a dirtbag and then do whatever he could. Yeah, but to how get would he be he a hero? Um, so we'll get into that. All right. So after all this railroad stuff happens, I was reading an article about how he was forced out of his position as, as president of, of the railroad. So there was a lot of turmoil there with him. And at that time, he was already thinking about retiring, so he was like, screw it, I'm, I'm done, right? And he heads back to New Hampshire. Now, when was this, like, what year? So this is the 1880s that, that all this happens, when he just leaves, goes back to New Hampshire, and there was a, 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 a thing happening in New Hampshire where they were trying to get farmers to sell and move them out so that they could start building up New Hampshire. And, and like, Claremont was, was one of the, the you know, mill... Mill towns that, that was built up during this time. Um, so there was all this land for sale, and if there wasn't, he made it for sale. So what he ended up doing was he bought, I think it was about 65 or 70 farms that were in that area, all dotted around these, these towns of, of Newport, of Croydon, of Claremont, of Gilmanton. And, and what happened was there were farms that were located inside the areas of what he bought around. So he ended up buying everything around, and then these farms that were inside, he fenced them in and forced them to sell. So they had no choice. They couldn't get inside or outside of their property because what? they would have to pass through his property 
He's a psychopath. <laughs> they had they had to pass through his property. They so had no he choice. Brought everything around and barricaded him in. Yeah. And it was like, all right, fuck you. You're selling to me to how? <laughs> how friggin' ballers. So they couldn't that's, even leave. That's they book. couldn't even leave to go that's, get something. They couldn't leave to go to the friggin' the Grange to go get friggin' grain for their for their cows or whatever the <laughs> hell they're doing on a farm, right? Unbelievable. So so he bought up all this land. He bought he bought people out. He put up a fence. I believe it's like a twenty-five mile perimeter fence to this to this land. And what did he do? He did what any friggin' multi-millionaire tycoon railroad banking bandit would do. He filled it up with the most exotic friggin' animals you can think of. <laughs> the right. Noah's Ark. He, yes, yes, yes. I think in his mind that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to build Noah's Ark. And, and he loaded up with bison. To his credit, he saved the bison population in America. So he started breeding bison in this park. And when they were at the, the, the mature age that, that they needed to be at, he would ship them out west. So they started in Corbin Park, and he shipped them out west. He hired a groundskeeper. The groundskeeper. So they're made, like shooting baby buffalo? Shooting baby buffalo, shooting friggin' orangutans. Who knows? Hold on, hold on. We'll get, we'll get into that. <laughs> so he hires this guy, Ernest Harold Baines, right? This guy is known uh, around the world, I guess, as like that era's Dr. Doolittle. And, and he was a super animal freak. So this guy is taking care of, of the, the, the place. And he thinks he's doing this great job of bringing all these buffalo and, and, and raising them and, and sending them out west and rebuilding the, the buffalo and bison population. He even stocked it with elk, reindeer, caribou, all kinds of crazy shit. And he, <coughs> excuse me, COVID cough. He, he'd have his buddies come and his, his buddies would, would hunt. Um, people like, like JP Morgan came there. That's, that's documented that, that he was there. Um, have you ever heard of the 400? No. No. So his daughter, he had a daughter. Her name was uh, uh, Caroline. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Her name was Ann, Annie Corbin. So Annie Corbin married a gentleman named Hallett Alsop Barrow, and he was part of this 400. And what this 400 was, was like the, the Gilded Age in New York's Who's Who. It started by um, um, Astor's wife, Caroline Astor. So J.J. Astor that was killed in the Titanic. This was started by, by his wife. Um, and it was like the, the Real Housewives, you know, I'm sure there were like, like groups of, of ladies that just talk shit and, and her thing so was... So it was like the 400 richest people. No, the 400 like socialites of the time, right? It was right. a who's who, according to this lady. All right. And, and another guy that, um, um, was, was like her, her, like a, like a Perez Hilton of, of the time. So it was like socialite status. So his daughter married one of these people that was recognized by this 400 Club of New York, which is pretty prestigious and, and up there. So he had a lot of friends, and he also had a very mysterious death. Um, he died, I think I said it was, um, at 68 years old in 1897. Let me just fact check this one. 1896. So he died in 1896. He was riding with uh, in a carriage with a carriage hand, and the person who hooked up the horse to the carriage didn't put the blinders on. The horse got spooked, 
and threw this guy into and a wall him? and died. <laughs> he died by getting smashed into a wall because he got thrown from his carriage. I Was don't know, man. Sounds wow. fishy. I don't know. It's too long ago, and everything's completely scrubbed. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there that makes this guy out to be a hero uh, because of the bison thing and all that, but he went about getting all his, his wealth and fame and fortune through, through scumbaggery. And, and hanging out with all these people that I guess made America kind of kind of what it is today and, and shaped you know a lot of, a lot of what it is. So what ended up happening was his son took it over. His son's name was also Austin. Um, in 1944, his son sold the property. His son sold the property to Bill Ruger, uh, Bill Ruger of Ruger Firearms. Ruger Firearms. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Th this is his his home. So it's not the park. The park. The park is still owned by the family. Bill Ruger buys the mansion that they owned in Newport and takes it over, opens up plants in Newport. The park becomes the Blue Mountain Forest Association and it's taken over by wealthy hunters. Um, nobody knows who these wealthy hunters are. You can see their tax filing status. Um, of the 30 people that are there, there's 10 listed. And the 10 listed, if you look them up, they're just local guys uh, that own, like, logging companies. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely wealthy dudes because they own some, some big, you know, manufacturing-type stuff. Um, but the 30 members, as far as I know, the one guy that invented the tip to whipped cream. <laughs> and then the guy that I work with, um, his old boss who owned a huge chain of restaurants. It was a huge freaking chain. Now you so, said something so about like a who's who, like a Dick Cheney incident. Yep. So that's two thousand four. So let's fast forward. We'll fast forward right to two thousand four. Officer Steve Laro of the Concord Police Department um, was was uh, out hunting with a bunch of other people that were there, and Bill Ruger. Bill Ruger was part of the group. Ruger Firearms. And yep, Ruger Firearms. Uh, a gentleman named Robert H. Pruel, who was a taxidermist, don't know who he was, was was out hunting with them. Apparently, wasn't wearing hunter orange, according to the reports of the Croydon police who showed up. And now, what I did for research on the police department, Croydon police is one dude. What? And, yeah, Croydon police <laughs> is one guy. And and I just read an article that that one guy. The town made a made a unanimous vote to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, they, they on what allegations? I don't even know. Just that they, they didn't need it. It wasn't in the budget anymore. Um, so he was yeah he was the, the the sole police officer in town. So they have no police they, department. No police department. But this is not needed. If you go to Croydon, there's nothing. There's there's nothing. There's probably a few you know home, lavish homes maybe. Um, this this place takes up most of the town. There's no police there. No police. No police. But they have, like, like volunteers and all that. But there's nothing to do. What are you going to do? Light a fire without a permit? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Go, go shoot in your backyard. That's that's Well, that's what you do out there. Wearing a mask. I, would, I bet nobody's wearing masks out there, man. It's it's like the last friggin' civilization that, that you want to be if you just want to kind of get off the grid. Keep that in mind, too, about getting off the grid. I'm going to get to that. Well, now, so, here's my question. i got to get back to the shooting. Uh, all right, go, all right, go, go, go. No, go ask ahead, a question. Go okay. All right, so the shooting. Steve Laro was an was a cop, a nutcase cop. You can Google him and look it up. Anybody can go Google Steve Laro, um, um, Concord, New Hampshire, uh, police department. He'll he'll come up, and uh, you'll find out that he was unfit to to 
run several investigations that he ran. Um, he, he was like that crooked cop that you would go to when you needed something done. Uh, Robert Pruel, who, who was a taxidermist out of, out of Manchester, New Hampshire. A guy named Roger Williams out of Barrington. John Twitchell out of Hampton. Robert Barr out of Stratford. None of these people had any name that I would ever even... I, I Google them, and there's nothing you can find. I duck, duck, go. There's nothing you can find. I go deep, deep into the search, too. So these are just guys that were invited, probably had some business dealings or something like that. Now, here's a weird name that comes up. There was a visitor from Italy named Angelo Cacciatore present at the shooting. Yeah, Cacciatore, like the dish. Chicken Cacciatore, sausage oh, Cacciatore, right? That's him? And he was from Italy. Now, I went and looked up his name... Angelo Cacciatore hunting Italy. And if you take a look at that in DuckDuckGo, this model comes up. This guy, this, this like international model. His Facebook page has pictures going back to like 2011. And he probably looked like he was in his late 20s, early 30s in 2011. So if this happened in 2004, it, he may be too young to have been there. Or was he? I don't know. Um... But Angelo Cacciatore, you can't find much about any of these people. But anyway, the story of the shooting, Steve Laro, this nutcase cop, shot and killed Robert Pruel, said that he thought he was a boar, and he got away with it. Boar? A boar. So Is the, that, that one of those things? The, the reserve, the reserve, not only bison, boar. Boar is one of their specialties. The boar escape. get out? So if any of the game get out of this preserve... Boar, I hear, are the only ones that people can kill because they do so much damage. But if an elk got out, you couldn't do anything to it. It's considered property of the park. They come, they scoop up their animal, they bring it back, they fix any damage, and they're out. No bills, no, no nothing. They what? just they fix it quietly and leave. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's Yo, one of the stories that I was reading. How tall is the fence? I don't know. I gotta find it, man. It's only a two-hour drive. I want to go take a ride. We got, this we is. Go. I'm. I'm only on the tip of the iceberg of this whole thing. I plan on going deep in the rabbit hole. Do you really think this and is something? Here's why. So we got this shooting in 2004. This is the only known sketchy, sketchy thing about it, right? Twenty miles from the gate of Central Station in Croydon, and Central Station is the the name of the entrance of this place, right? And this is all thanks to this dude, Brian Mayette. Um, Brian Mayette has a website that has information on Corbin Park like you wouldn't believe, and I'll put it in the show notes, but it's M-E-Y-E-T-T-E dot U-S. He lives right there next to Central Station. So he's seen all the ins and outs of this place, and my mission is to contact this guy and ask him questions about it because I'm, I'm fascinated by this 30-member, 26,000-acre private hunting reserve that has boar, that has bison, that has elk, that has different species of goats, all these crazy wild things. Two mountain peaks, two mountain peaks in New Hampshire people can't go to because it's surrounded by the gates of this freaking... What kind of fuckery is going on in this place? Do you, okay? think, it's like, do you think it's like a Bohemian Grove? Here's what I think. 20 miles from this place, 20 miles. These Snickers are good. Is the town of Bradford, New Hampshire. And if you've been following the news, you know that Bradford, New Hampshire was the place where Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested. Just 20 miles from this place. The address that she was at was 338 Washington Road in Bradford, New Hampshire. 
You can go Google that address. She was in a friggin' palace, man. This place was nice. And what a lot of people don't know, too, is not only was there the beautiful house that she was in on the property, it was 158 acres of property. On the same property, there was a cape, an old colonial cape house that was built back who knows when. And it's, it's sitting on the property, too. It's a hell of a friggin' piece of property. Now, I guess it was Corbin's house? No, I can't tie anybody to Corbin or anything like that. That was just Damn a story. It. That was a story I had to, to give you to build up to how this how this park came about. Yeah. Okay, or, or how this, this Blue Mountain Reserve uh, came about. So when, when the, the people who bought the house for Ghislaine Maxwell, she set up a shell company through a Boston lawyer named Jeffrey Roberts. Guess guess what the guess what the um the name of, of the law firm is that Jeffrey Roberts works at? I don't know. Jeffrey Roberts? No. <laughs> Nutter, McLennan, and Fish. And I just think it's funny that Ghislaine Maxwell hires a lawyer from Nutter, and then you got people like Anthony Weiner, and then you got people like Tubin. It's like these names, you can't... You, you, you can't make these names up, you know? Right. So she hires this dude to set up the Shell LLC, and... and it looks like it could be Granite Realty, which is an LLC that's legitimately set up in New Hampshire, a company that's probably doing real estate and selling. It's a real estate office. He set it up as Granite Reality, R-E-A-L-I-T-Y, LLC. So what? This is, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the name of the company that he set up to buy this house. So apparently whoever it was that was the... Um, the, the was it just a typo, though? No. Because it's already a granted realty. So if you put that in when you file for an LLC, it'll shoot back saying you can't use that. That LLC has already been filed. So this was, this. I don't know if it was, if it was set up to make it look like it was granted realty to throw people off the path that, that they're buying a house for Ghislaine Maxwell, right? Right. Um, the real estate agent said there were people with British accents um, that came to buy the, to look at the house and sign the paperwork. It was never her. That doesn't sound like a lawyer from Boston, but meanwhile they got the house set up in this LLC, 156 uh, acres, 4,500 square foot house. The law firm uh, did work for, for Maxwell's alleged husband, so she allegedly has, has some sort of husband. So they represented him in, in some stuff, Scott, Scott Borgerson. Um, I just don't think it's any coincidence that you got this millionaire hunt club 20 miles from... The property that Ghislaine Maxwell was found on. Who is a human trafficker, rapist, yep. this, child molester. This property has wild boar stocked. They stock wild boar from Germany. <laughs> oh, actual? It's yeah. Not like... you, uh, you ever watch the movie um, um, Snatch? Yeah. The, the shipwreck had, had all the pigs. Oh, yeah. They, and he would they, feed fucking people to yeah, the pigs. Yeah, they go in there. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just talking, it's just two guys talking here right now about what, what could be, and we don't know if it is, but 30 members that you don't know who the fuck they are, 20 miles away from the place where a world-renowned child trafficking superstar was, right? Everyone thinks that she isn't around. I think she's in custody. I don't know where. They I don't know if it's New York. At. They say she's at the same jail that Epstein was in New York. That's and that she's wake, wake, woken up every hour or something like that. There's I don't no know. way you could do that. That's like I, torture. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. So, I mean, her, her father has, has very shady deal. Was he a hunter? Did he go to this club? 
And Teddy Roosevelt's been there, right? Teddy Roosevelt had killed a wild boar and had that wild boar stuffed and mounted and then shipped back to the White House. I think we got to add Donald Trump on this one. Why? Let's see if we can get into the Oval Office to ask him if there's a... I uh, want to see that wild boar. <laughs> he probably took it with him, though, man. Teddy Roosevelt, he left. He's like, no, I'm taking that. So... That's my story on this little on this little piece of New Hampshire. I I think it's tied in. I don't know. I'm speculating, 110 percent speculating. But I like I said, I'm just at the tip of the iceberg on all this, man. And I want to I want to dive in a little more and see what I can find. And I want to take. There. I, I got to get there. I want I want to go from <laughs> from <laughs> get in there. tucked away was the name of Elaine Maxwell's place, right? There was a stone outside the place and it was etched in it, tucked away. I want to go from that door, from, from that driveway, the start of that driveway, when I see that rock tucked away, and put in the GPS, the, the, the main entrance in Croydon to, to Corbin Park, I want to see how far it is. I'm you still, I'm still miles, trying man. to dig into the lawyer. Man, these lawyers got nothing out there on them on any kind of business deals or anything like that. It is so super friggin' shady. And this is kind of like the deepest dive I think I'll, I'll be doing. I'll, I'm going to call it a belly flop. Instead of a deep dive, I'm going to call it a belly Dude, flop. Dude, you got pumped into it, I, like, big time. I got hooked on this subject. This is all I've been looking at for the past <laughs> three weeks, and I'm convinced that there's a tie there. And I'm convinced that this this dude, Austin Corbin, has has way more crap out there that has has that he's been an influence as much as J.P. Morgan... As much as a, a, a Vanderbilt, as much as, as a Rockefeller, and any of those guys, I think he's he's right up there, and I think it's freaking cool that it's right in my backyard. So, so we should do like, we should definitely podcast. do it like what Alex Jones did with Boy Me Grove. Just sneak in there, crash the party. I know, I know. I would love to, because I got too much to lose if I do. That's we didn't why. know. Yeah, we didn't know I'm, we could. I'm definitely going there. I know the area well. I know, so this guy Corbin, he also, I, I mentioned he had a mansion that was bought by Bill Ruger. So Bill Ruger died, the family sold that mansion. It, it, they wanted like, I think like $3.4 million for it. They ended up selling it for $615,000. The person who bought it has um, a, a machine shop across the street from Newport High School. And I think it's RDS Machine is the name of it. His name, I have his name written down. Uh, His name is James William Henry Watson. James William Henry Watson. His machine shop across the street from the high school is like a Lockheed Martin certified facility that manufactures optics, uh, night vision goggles and stuff like that. RDS machine, you can, you can look it up. Pretty cool, pretty crazy that it's a government contractor buying this house that was owned by this guy that was involved with so many shady dealings and was, was a person who set up the first national bank of all the national banks that were set up during that time. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like a bunch of different rabbit holes that kind of lead into one into one tunnel, and I thought it was pretty cool. Thanks thanks for listening to Oh, I appreciate that. That's, that's cool, man. I mean, I know you got into this, and I was excited to hear about it. So um, did it wow you as much as you thought it would? I want to know. I, I, yeah, I mean, I want to know more. I think I'm just kind of geeking out over it because it's in my backyard. Yeah, but like, 
I mean, what if they're doing a sacrifice to Moloch every fucking Friday night? Who the hell? You know knows, what I mean? Man. Like, I mean, knows. and then you're the one that uncovers that. There's, you're the spawn of Alex Jones. I don't know about the spawn of Alex Jones, but I'm definitely, like I said at the start of this, and and looking into it, and it's uh, kind of interesting. So thanks for listening, and Thank we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks, guys. I said yeah. I call this a belly flop. Oh no.